This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Morning, Doc. Good to see you uh, Back in studio again this week. It's really nice. We've got an in-studio guest again this week. Uh, We're going to introduce him a little bit later on, Wayne Bishop, Group Managing Director of PhD. But uh, it was an interesting discussion we had uh, last week with uh, our 100th podcast. We were quite excited about that. Yeah, it was great. And uh, nice to see you again, Gordon. Yeah, Wayne, how's it? Uh, Always nice to see you in studio. Uh, and it is nice to be back and, 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 you know, hopefully, you know, the next hundred is, is as good, I'd, you know, I'd like to say than the first hundred and based yeah. again, Gordon, uh, on, on fantastic guests, you know, we've had a really great run and, and, uh, it's Wayne's second time back. So Wayne, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah, thanks just for the time. Before Thank we you. get into that as well, I must say, Doc, have you been gymming since we had that uh, <laughs> chat you, with Ivan well, Morocco? You, you look, know, you're looking, you, see, you know, <laughs> You see, Gordon, what I did do is, I mean, I was, I mean, I really was throwing that and I, and I didn't do my best interview because you said I was a little fatty. So then what I said <laughs> is the throw forward in the prep notes for today, you said we're going to talk about marketing in a midlife crisis. Now that's me. So that's why I got out the baggy, the baggy sweatshirt and uh, I've, I've got my sneakers and I'm now marketing in a midlife crisis. It's okay. Darker, darker colors. Eh? It always helps. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. Psychology of colors. Dark oh, okay. blue. Well, I'm going to trust you, you two toy boys. <laughs> I've given up on that stuff a long time. <laughs> Time ago. But yeah, Wayne, thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, we, we started the discussion, and it's one where I'm going to sit back a little bit because I think this is really, Doc, right up your, your avenue here. This is, I mean, marketing. Uh, an article written by the, the CMO, global CMO uh, of MasterCard, Raja Rajmanar, um, who is, according to Forbes, he is the number four uh, marketer in the world, they have, a, have a, a Forbes listing. So he, you know, he's right up there, and he he has pronounced at various times that advertising is dead, storytelling is dead. But more specifically, in 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 a recent article, he's talking about marketing being in a deep 
existential crisis that if we look at the four P's, product, price, place, promotion, that it's really all that seems to be left uh, when it comes to marketing is promotion. So to the listeners, goodbye from Gordon <laughs> and discuss. Yeah, I look, the, the conversations that I, that I have in South Africa with, with our clients, um, you know, the PhD is now a, a much larger entity than it was five years ago. So come into contact with more marketers than we ever did. And there's often comments about them not having a seat at the table. Um, I think any commercial commercial accountability discussion they shy away from. Um, anything to do with pricing uh, and, and, and product seems to be set externally. There's lots of consultants in the business, uh, lots of business intelligence that handle analytics. And, and unfortunately, the, the marketers are feeling like they're, just, they're, they're not that important in the organization. They've had a really, really tough time. And so what I've seen is on the one hand, you've got the business completely reassessing the accountability of, of marketing. And that pretty much goes back to 2008, 2009 GFC. Um, and, and then on the other hand, you've got this explosion in complexity. They've got more channels to market through this e-commerce. There's uh, all this data that's coming into the business. And so it's very difficult for marketers to get a handle on all of this. Yeah, I think, Wayne, absolutely. You know, in talking, you know, not just with, with some guests over the last few months, but also, you know, serving on the, on the Marketing Awards uh, Council, and, and Ivan, we mentioned, is the chairperson of that. You know, I also come into contact with the top marketers, uh, Wayne, and, and a lot of the concerns are, and, and I guess it's, what is the redefinition of marketing? You know, what is the definition? Now, part of the writing uh, was around, perhaps there should be a new definition. I, gu I guarantee you, if you take 10, 20 CEOs and maybe 10, 20 marketers, they probably all have a slightly different definition. The old school one is the four and then became the seven Ps and all the rest of it, which you know, if you can't manage the four Ps, guarantee by the time you got to the other three, it, it started to fall away. So yeah, it's a challenge eh? for me. And, and I think you know my experience, I, I go along with what you're saying, Wayne, is that I think, and it's probably a dangerous statement, a lot of marketers are more, still more comfortable sitting, having media and creative discussions as opposed to you know the more tech stuff, the data stuff. And then there also within that, there's a land grab, you know, You've got many companies, CTO, CIO, Chief Digital Officer. Now you've got three people who are sitting in that area and also fighting about tech. Uh, before the marketing guy who comes in and says, can I buy a piece of CX tech? The guy says, no, you can't. You, we, we buy on that stuff. You'll just get what we buy. And by the way, where's the CX officer? Now that's five people in a room fighting about one piece of thing that really at the end of the day, take the acronyms out of it, should make life easier to serve the customer, which is really why you're there. I would say that generally what, what's happening in business is uh, businesses, as they get more complex, they specialize. Mm. So what's happening is marketing probably needs to redefine its role, but it is specializing. Mm. Um, but I mean, just on the tech side, um, ad tech's a big part of, of our industry as it stands at the moment. But if you look at uh, in 2019, or, or it might have been 2020, there was something like $30 billion in, in ad tech uh, acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And that prompted the McKinsey's and the Foresters of the world to, to scratch below the surface. But they've calculated that the ad tech business is larger than the PR and events business or, or sector mm -hmm. put together. Mm -hmm. So ad tech, is you need to have very specialist resources to evaluate that. And that's not going to fall under marketing because it's just... It's just too specialized at the moment. Yeah. We, Wayne, where would that fall in, in your opinion? I think that marketers should have a, a, a say in it. You should, a good marketer should be a bit of a generalist. You should understand all these new disciplines in, in marketing. 
But ultimately, that's going to go to a technical person. It's an engineer that's going to look at that. Um, and potentially, you know, someone that has a good understanding of design. Um, but but marketing should, it would be good to get marketing back to the table. So on that board and, and making the crucial decisions. But then off the back of that, I, I, I do think that the ultimate decision has got to go to a specialist uh, a lead in that, in that space. And that's why you're getting digital CMOs and, of course, uh, CTOs, yeah. chief technology officers, yeah. chief uh, innovations officers, these new positions coming up to evaluate exactly that. Yeah. It's a challenge. And I guess, you know, the question really is what is the baseline competency for a more generalist marketer to have to get back to that seat? In other words, I can nearly see the seat. What do I need to get there? In, in, let's, in a, we don't have to answer it uh, in, in all the detail, but certainly on the tech side, I need to have at least be able to have a technical discussion although the final decision doesn't rest with me. Then you look down, Gordon, the, the, the traditional piece, you look at distribution. A lot of companies, whether they're franchise, whether they've got huge distribution, I don't know how many marketers and have a deep understanding of that channel and all the partners that sit within that channel. You know, that's before we get into the whole e-commerce thing, Wayne. Right? I mean, now the point that I see, the bit that sticks above the water are all the scooters. But it's not the scooter, it's the driver, it's the petrol, it's the insurance. It's the logistics of getting those things in the scooters to get to me in the promise, the promise you've made to me. Now, who made the promise? Often the brand guy or the, or the marketing guy makes the promise. Question is, who sits with the people who do the logistics and the fulfillment? Maybe sometimes marketers, maybe sometimes not. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there we can loop all the way back to Seth Godden's book for me, which <clears throat> made the lights go on. Uh, his book was very short read highly recommended even that's about 10 years old uh, called meatball sunday and and he's talking about sunday as in the the ice cream not the day of the week and he said if you sit down you have a somebody brings you a lovely you know, sunday and it's got a little umbrella on the top and it looks glorious but it tastes literally like shit mm. it's because somebody has filled up the bottom half with manure yeah. and put the ice cream on top mm. and what he's saying is that where we've gone wrong is we're not uh, integrating digital into the business and it occurs to me we, we've now reached the point that he was talking about you cannot have silos of delivery when the, the entire build, uh, uh, business has got to be built from the bottom up with a digital frame whether it's distribution or, or whatever the case may be so mm. i think the silos just don't seem to work anymore well i think i think all of these points is why we why we commissioned this research mm. right so mm. so we worked with uh, with walk with the World Advertising Research Center, and we, um, I think the respondent panel was 1,721 gl global marketers, and the minimum requirement was 10 years of experience. Mm -hmm. And it was so fascinating to see what, what had come out of this. But, but in effect, what they've realized is that their functions have changed. So for instance, some of the big movers is, is digital reporting. That has gone from sort of 30 32% or 34% or 38% up to, you know, the 80s. Mm. So 80% of marketers agreeing that today you need that uh, a lot more than you did 10 years ago. In the next 10 years, that's going to go up to 90, 95%, some of them 100% uh, in, in that case. But it's fascinating because I got a pivot table of all of the data and it's quite incredible to go through country by country, discipline by discipline, function by function and see uh, where South Africa is maybe behind, uh, where marketers are, are really feeling the pinch, and there's some proper trends here. Uh, a lot of it's going. A lot of it is analytics and reporting. This is a, a big part of what a marketer's job is now, and that's why our media agencies have had to respond with with live dashboards and things like that. Totally different to what we used to do in the past, where you would do a post campaign monthly and a, 
uh, Millwood Brown report every every quarter. Uh, now it's it's daily, mm-hmm. but that's also leading to marketers behaving in a way that they're sometimes becoming a bit more short-termist, mm-hmm. a lot more reactive. Mm-hmm. So we really commissioned this research to try and understand uh, what marketers are going through, and it was, it was seriously enlightening. Yeah. So just before the doc comments on, on things, I'm just going to uh, clarify uh, for our listeners out there as well. Uh, that research has been played out in a book which has been published by PhD. It's called Shift, a Marketing Rethink. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, fascinating read and, and a fascinating compilation of perspectives, which I, I'm finding quite irresistible and I'm only halfway through it, so I've got a bit of work left to go. But Doc, I'm going to lob it back at you uh, on terms of yeah, in terms thanks. of the earlier points. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. I think yeah, you know when you're talking about real-term reporting and, and perhaps looking at things short-term and all the rest of it. I mean, uh, and again, you know, I look at that data space. I'm not the tech side, the, the, the ability to understand data and, and interpret it. And then that gets back to an even earlier point that we made just. Just to close off on that MasterCard article we spoke, uh, pricing, you know, um, a lot of, certainly in my experience, and, and even today, talking with a lot of marketers, that is the area where they get a little bit flaky in terms of, of really understanding, you know, not just the link between, say, a spend and, 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 a, and, a, and a movement of, of a category, of a product. Let's say it's, you want to sell something, it's a, it's a short-term performance-based campaign, or it's a longer-term branding exercise. Rely on, on obviously, your insights from your, from your research houses. But then you're getting now to real-term data. And, and it's, it's another skill um, that I think, uh, and, and, and a lot of people have been saying it for a while, you need to get a little bit sharper in understanding numbers, whether it's a data number or you know, a number on a, on a financial number. If, you, if you've got a little bit of, because what I've realized in my role is I've got to cover a lot of disciplines in, in learning. And one of the things I've been looking at for years now is behavioral economics. Mm. Big part of that talks about heuristics and how if you have very, exp- and like an exorbitant uh, exorbitantly expensive bottle of wine on a menu, mm. people are more likely to upgrade to the ones that are just underneath that, yeah, right? Yeah. Heuristics works yeah. really, really well. Yeah. And and marketers, I think, have lost the behavioral economic side of their, their function and their learning. They haven't kept as close to that generally, yeah. uh, I would say. And so that means that from a pricing perspective, I think the pricing strategies are then being outsourced to finance. Mm. Finance also have no idea about heuristics and how pricing can actually be a positioning tool for your for your brand, and that's just lost. And so what you what's happened is you most people most products have gone into sort of a a, a value positioning, mm. and they've commoditized a lot of categories over the years. FMCG is the biggest one. Yeah, I remember arguing or debating. Let me say debating with uh, the local brand team uh, on a deodorants brand and mm. saying, but we have the the largest distinctiveness score uh, measured by Mild Brown it was called that signature score but we had the largest distinctiveness score and therefore we could command a, a higher price premium 10% 12% to to the market and um, and the global guys agreed with me and the local team said no finance are going to make the decision and what they did is they went value price they went uh, 5% value to to the yeah. category mm. and that brand has gone from 10% share 10 years ago and it's hovering about 5.2% now. Crazy. But I mean, you know, again, Wayne, that, Gordon, that just speaks to the, the devaluing of the marketing person's view. 
You know, when the guy says, before he goes to finance, because the culture, the setup of that organization says, Wayne, listen, it's, it's all fine, but it's not how it works here. You know, here it gets set by fine. Wayne, just quickly, um, behavioral economics, Gordon, just those two, you know, we've, we've done a little, we scratched a bit a few years ago, but I'm not, not, a, not enough around behavioral economics. Now, the word is a combination of consumer behavior and economics. Okay, now, a lot of marketing guys, would, you know, we've, we've spoken before about, I can't remember who the guest was, around really a deep understanding of consumer behavior which is you know how, and, and we'll talk about that and how it's perhaps changed that uh, wayne uh, the dan Ariely's work is that still relevant is he still the, one of the one of the leading voices yeah he he's an amazing author i mean i i, I follow and read everything i can from from him mm-hmm. because what what dan O'Reilly does is uh, that he does social studies mm-hmm. and and there was this old adage you know, back in the day when behavioral economics took off is to say if you want to understand behavior you have to measure behavior yeah. and in marketing we often measure pers- perception we mm. ask people to fill in surveys yeah and it's amazing you could say to someone what's your favorite program on tv and they'll go it's game of thrones mm-hmm. and you go okay what did you actually how many episodes did you did you actually watch well maybe on average three episodes in each season mm. and and so now you've got a disconnect between what they're saying and what they're actually doing yeah. so dan o'reilly's work is fantastic because he, he actually measures behavior through social studies yeah um so i follow him religiously yeah i haven't uh, I, I need to probably just brush up on that i haven't looked at at his work for a bit you're listening to the dark and the guru proudly brought to you by infinity media Well, and just looking at that book, I mean, there's some themes that come through, uh, and and one of them is around the whole is marketing sort of in a midlife crisis, and some of the characteristics of that. And uh, let's just chat a little bit about about the book and what people can expect, and and also you know uh, how they can get hold of that book. So it's it's divided into four very easy sections. The first is just talking about the wave of complexity of what marketers have gone through. We've touched on that a bit. The chapter two is the most interesting. It talks about marketing in a midlife crisis, and we actually created a, a video skit of it, which is highly entertaining. Um, and maybe we can send the link out as well. Uh, then off the back of that, building a new ecosystem, and then how people will shape your shape your future. Um, and then, uh, sorry, and it's, it's got five sections. And then the, the fifth one is anticipating tomorrow. PhD, we always like to try and <laughs> predict what's going to happen, and we, we get it maybe 30, 30, 40% right some of the time. Um, but the midlife crisis part was, it really hits home with a lot of marketers. What we've realized and why we framed it under this, uh, this theme of midlife crisis is if you think about going into a midlife crisis, there's a couple of characteristics. The first would be impulsive decision making, right? Because you're not sure of your decision, so you're just impulsive. What about dramatic changes in behavior and appearance? Um, with men, I mean, we buy. Yeah, we you, I'm looking at you. <laughs> you, see okay. that, you see now, uh, this is now not an audio thing. I mean, that's audio, not visual. Gordon is now pointing out at my ritzy sweatshirt and my little neck scarf. That's correct. A, Calvin I mean, Klein outfit. Next not Calvin Klein. Next thing, you'll you'll buy a Harley, eh? Um, <laughs> then thoughts about infidelity, and then of course uh, a constant comparison of oneself to others. These are sort of four psychological characteristics of of someone in. In this in this phase in their life, and so we try to put some data behind that to think about marketers, and it's exactly right. The impulsive decision making. If you look at all the data, we are going a lot more to short termism for marketers. They want the average tenure of a marketer, global CMO, is eighteen months now, Jeez. which is re- crazy. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And and so they almost have to think short term because it's about getting sales, getting value up, and then moving on to the next role. Um, and also the pressure on them is, is, is quite vast and quite extensive. 
dramatic changes in behavior and appearance, just look at search. The search term rebranding uh, has skyrocketed in the last uh, decade. In fact, since 2019, it's, it's five times more volume behind the search term rebranding. So marketers trying to rebrand, thinking about changing, thought about infidelity, right? That's this. There's some real proof points behind this. Um, last year there was uh, 2.6 billion dollars that went up for grabs in in, uh, in in marketers changing agencies, creative and media. Mm. So I think they had Super Week about three years ago, where something like uh, uh, about 900 million dollars went up for grabs in one week or, yeah. or two weeks. Um, Super Week was nothing compared to what happened just in 2020. And then the constant comparison of oneself to others. I cannot tell you how many presentations I've been in by marketers saying we must lean like a startup. Mm -hmm. But you're not a startup. We were chatting a little bit earlier about New Balance. New Balance is a 100-plus-year-old mm. company. Why would they want to think like a startup? A startup is, is totally different. You've got no resources. Mm. Most of the people in a startup do multiple functions. In, in an organization as old as that, you've, you've paid the school fees and you've got the discipline heads in all of those functions to be better. Why on earth would you want to think and lean like a startup? And I think the problem is, is there's this mentality of growth. And so startups, they grow quite quickly. So we should think like them. Well, yeah. Absolutely crazy to, to go down that route. And that's part of, sorry, Gordon, that's no. part of that whole thinking around challenge brands, oh, Wayne. A while ago, you guys did that study, the PhD with Overthrow uh, and Eat Big Fish from London, Adam Morgan and, and co. And again, I, I touched on a little bit of that stuff in previous shows, but also have met with Adam a number of times. That's that whole thinking of, and not every challenge brand, in fact, they're 10 types is a startup. In fact, he was saying it's quite, it's not the guy tinkering in the garage. Don't think that's what a challenger brand is. It can be New Balance and, and massive brands that are, that are finding that thing, that hunger. And so maybe the question was just, maybe the statement the marketer made was just the wrong one. They try to get to hunger. Let's become hungry again mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily be a startup, but find the hunger within our company. Yeah. And just coming back to that short-termism thing, um, I, I mean, know it's a phenomenon and World Federation of Advertisers has identified it and in the white paper that we've referenced here a couple of times, Project Spring, they've mapped out the game plan to close the gap between marketing and procurement. And what they've discovered remarkably enough is that if you talk to each other, uh, you're not mutually exclusive. So the first kind of action step is to get marketers and procurement talking together or at least trying to speak the same language. But for me, what is implicit in that and my own observations is short-termism doesn't imply, what shouldn't imply, the absence of a strategy. If there's a long-term strategy, you can measure the outcome at various points. So you can have a short-term kind of response, but if that short-termism isn't building onto a long-term platform, that for me is where the problem comes in, not the short-termism per se, but if you treat each short-term outcome as a unique event as opposed to a sequence of events, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, I always use the, the example or the, the framework of a, a, a strategy is obviously long-term and a tactic is short-term, but a series of tactics can be your strategy. That's it. So, uh, but on that long-term thing, so McKinsey's backed it up. They, they've tracked uh, company performance uh, since the GFC, uh, 2008 and nine. And they found that uh, companies with a short-term view are performing worse than companies with long-term view. So the long-term view was to say, okay, this is what it is. We're going to now rebuild and, and make sure we're a bit better. 
But that grow, that gap is actually around about 43%. So they're accelerating revenue 43% faster than companies with short-term views. Yeah. So it's hugely important. Um, one of the, the, the areas in the book that we come out with is is we've got a couple of archetypes of, of, a, of a typical marketer in this midlife crisis. And these are quite fascinating. The first one is um, King Henry VIII. Let's change everything, mm. right? So you get marketers, new marketers who come in, as I said, 18-month average tenure come in and they want to establish a legacy and change absolutely everything instead of listening and building off the successes. You get the Madonna. Uh, if you think about uh, her life, she's basically moved on to the next big thing. Uh, dramatic changes every decade, basically. Uh, so it's, it's what's the next big thing. It's constant reinventing, which again is very disruptive. You get the Christopher Columbus, who, who literally moves into new uncharted territories and remember he found uh, the or discovered the americas by accident he was actually mm. trying to sail somewhere else mm. um and so uncharted waters and relying on luck is pretty irresponsible from a from a marketer's perspective you get the donald and this is donald trump mm. listen to me these are the people that read all the headlines but don't scratch below the surface and, and understand the data behind all of this and they're just saying you know unsupported unevidenced approach but i'm right and then the Harry Houdinis, these are the people that make their jobs or their organizations or marketing processes so complex that it just falls in place by magic. Mm. And I've seen, uh, it's interesting, after this book uh, was released to the PhD team earlier this year, I started writing names <laughs> next to some of these. And, and, and I feel for the marketers, I, I don't yeah. think it's their fault. They're just really trying to rediscover their role in, in their businesses. Well, I think, you know, coming back to, to the Donald, the reason the Donald wouldn't scratch below the surface is he didn't want to risk that comb-over coming apart on, on front of the TV camera. But <laughs> I think the one archetype perhaps you've left, or for me as well, I, I might call the first-time mother. And I'm linking this to juniorizations. I've often said, um, you know, to, when, when I'm working in training sessions, it, it's a real challenge to push back, pushing back to clients when, you know, in the 70s and 80s was kind of what advertising did um, and it was expected of us it's less welcomed now and with juniors you know what I actually find is that it's very difficult to tell a first-time mother that she has an ugly baby mm. um, it's really a life-shortening experience <laughs> okay and yet I have never in 45 years in media had a client who will admit to me that he's got an ugly product. So mm. we have just got one continuous line of perfect products. And it takes a bit of kind of grumpiness, um, which comes with age and experience, to push back and say, look, your baby's ugly, okay? Mm. And we need to do something about it. We're going to get those teeth sorted. We're going to pin those ears back or whatever it takes. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, how, how do you go around? I mean, Doug, where did you draw the line between, you know, the agency doing what I tell you to do and, 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 a, and a pushback, which, which was well-intentioned, but maybe badly articulated. Yeah, I think, Gordon, you know, I, I think one's got to be realistic to sometimes look at your own stuff and, and be critical about that. Now, again, just listening to, to some of those archetypes, you know, I guess I've been some of those and also worked for people, some of those. Now, it's hard to work for a Donald. Because you don't get a chance to push back. Uh, you can, but it's, it's got dire consequences. Um, and, and so, therefore, things get given to you. And, and, I mean, just let's be practical about a product, for instance. So, one of the companies I worked at, uh, we, we would have a greater ambit. In other words, we would design the product within marketing. Now, a lot of the international firms, you don't do that. I mean, Ford, don't, they make the car somewhere else. and so You get given it. So, whether you like it or don't like it, you've got to market it into your territory mm. with its correct price point, all the rest of it. Um, 
So the challenge there is to, is, to, is to sometimes you can't cull a product of your own volition. Sometimes you can and, and you should. Also, what I was given sometimes in, in various companies is a product built in-house, in other words, in a department next to me, but almost thrown over the proverbial mm. fence. Now, mm. now understand, Gordon, I'm not saying we were always right. It may, it may come across like that. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you you. you Go to sit with the customer and work out why you're building the product. A lot of, and I've used the phrase often, don't have a cupboard full of products that spill out because you get paid to do product dev. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to make products. It doesn't matter whether it works or not. It's irrelevant. Mm. And, and specifically in markets that were booming artificially, pent up demand. So whatever you made, you had lots of marketing money. If you made crap, well then just advertise more. And so, and you made the point there, you know, from a, a good ad uh, and a bad product, um, and I think that's part of the challenge. From an advertising point of view, you know, a lot of the times we would encourage with maturity. And when I say with maturity, a lot of the strategists we worked with, and I, I hate to say this, were not that sharp, you know what I mean, on an advertising side. So I didn't always take their views that seriously because it didn't make a lot of sense, you know. And certainly, and Wayne, I'm not saying it just because you're here, but certainly the, the, the time that we worked together, I found, and there were one or two other guys that actually took deep care at trying to understand the business as opposed to just coming to try and sell you something, which yeah. invariably we yeah. are marketing a media yeah, plan a or something. Point. It is fundamental. So, so the great Bern, uh, Bill Bernbach said that uh, uh, great advertising can make a poor product fail faster. Yeah. And that's sometimes what we do. So I've found some, some really great creative strategists are the ones that'll that'll you know risk their career and say i don't think we should advertise this this isn't right mm. and i must say like uh, uh, mtn is fantastic um they're they i mean they're developing products all the time right um i mean the mobile financial services uh, app that they have has now got 50 million users 50 million users it's amazing uh, but what they do is, if, if they haven't got a product right, they just keep testing, just keep testing, just keep testing. And then what we do is we might, we might do something small. We might go just keep the sort of users signing up slowly while they, while they test it. Uh, and then we open the taps once it's right. Yeah. And Ayorba's also had the same thing. The Ayorba app, which is, which is getting better and better and better. It struggled, you know, from a from a user experience point of view, and it's now getting just just really, really great. Yeah. So just like, uh, before we, we we wrap up, I've got because I still have to give our media guava of uh, the week uh, award, uh, Doc. Um, the book is is available. Uh, it's commercially available, but on this show, we we are we are looking to assess the best response to the show in the week ahead, and then. Wayne's going to judge what we think is the best response or what he thinks is the best response to the show. Um, look out for the doc. You know, doc does a lot of activity on, on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook or Atom Zanzi Media on Twitter. But just generally speaking, we'd like to, to get a, a strong response. And whoever has the best response is going to win a copy of the PhD Shift, a marketing rethink book, which I would really recommend to anybody out there. But for those who, who want to buy, where are they going to be able to find that? So we've actually, I think it is on Amazon, so you can buy it. And it's, it's the normal uh, hard copy price, $11 or $12, somewhere around there. It fluctuates. Um, but you can go on to shiftbyphd.com, and there you'll see everything about the book, and you can buy it directly from the site. So once we've covered all the costs of printing, uh, we basically donate all that money to the UNHCR. So um, we do this more as a thought piece and a contribution to the industry. But it's a fantastic body of work. Um, and, and like I said, I was going through the data on it, the pivotable data that we've got access to. And it is it is really frightening to to see these poor marketers in this in this space. You know, they, they just really want to get back to campaigns and, and brand platforms and things like that. 
Uh, but with so much complexity, it's going to be tough. So hopefully this will help. It will definitely help that. I can attest to it. It really is, uh, apart from new insights, it is a great summation of, of uh, you know, existing wisdoms as well. So, Doc, before I give it to you to wrap up, I'm going to just have a media guava. I haven't had a media guava. I normally do media guava when you're not here because you, you like to keep me under control. But I couldn't help noticing this week that Netflix and a South Korean company called SK Broadband are locked in a legal battle. So that it's being fought out in the courts over the streaming or streaming rights, not so much the rights, but the cost of streaming that global phenomenon Squid Game. Now, it just offends my sense of logic that having created Squid Game, which is indeed the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my life, um, with the possible exception of losing to Australia, um, Springboks losing to Australia, that is. <laughs> why do, why are they fighting it out in a in in a legal courtroom? Why don't why aren't they on a platform twenty two stories up surrounded by wild hedgehogs and, and arm wrestling to sort the case out rather than resorting to lawyers? Come on, Wayne. Doc doesn't do squid game because he's you know, he's having a midlife crisis. <laughs> well, can you not think of a better resolution to a, a thing on squid game than yeah, definitely. It's, it's amazing how it's got to the courts and also so public as well. Um, but I would do what that Italian man's done. He's, uh, he's To get away from his wife, he's asked to be arrested by the police. <laughs> that could be a soul. Well, you see there, there is now, there's short-termism of another kind. <laughs> Doc, I'm going to leave it to you to wrap up. Wayne, thanks. It was brilliant having you. Great, uh, great discussion and great book. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. Uh, yeah, it was a, a very interesting a, a discussion. Wayne, thanks for your time and again to our listeners out there, please be part of the conversation. Gordon's put out the, the invite now to comment. Give us your comments. Wayne will judge in terms of, of, of uh, you know the good comments and, and we'll give a book. Uh, and also, yeah, keep tuning in. Wayne, thanks for your time and uh, we'll catch you around. Thanks so much. It was good. Yeah, Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week on The Doc and the Guru. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.